Welcome to Center Ice, and we hope you enjoyed our expansion draft preview. We had a lot of fun doing that. We want to thank everyone for all the support on our past few episodes. We've been getting great interaction, great numbers on those episodes, and it sounds like you guys have really enjoyed them. So first of all, today is May 4th. Uh, Happy Star Wars Day, Matt. Well, happy Star Wars Day to you, Mac. You know, it's in the evening when we're recording now, and I completely forgot it was May the 4th. (laughs) That's completely understandable under the circumstances. Well, even even on a regular May the 4th, Mac, I I forget that it's Star Wars Day. And then I'll go on Twitter or Facebook or something stupid like that, and I'll see one tweet at, you know, 8 o'clock at night and say, Oh, it was Star Wars Day, kind of like Groundhog Day for me at this point. But, you know, if you're a big Star Wars guy, and I'll admit I've been kind of disappointed from the more recent Star Wars movies. I'll I'll say that they're fun, but I don't think they were the greatest movies. It, to me, it doesn't. it's not the biggest day, but if you're a big Star Wars person, and I know there's quite a few people out there that absolutely love Star Wars and, you know, live and breathe Star Wars. This is a big day. Yeah, of course, and it's an opportunity to have a little fun and forget about what's going on right now, and we're not going to talk too much about that. I, you know, wishing everyone a safe and healthy journey through this. It's it's tough on everyone. It's not easy for anyone whatsoever, but hopefully everything is going well for you. And let's get into what we're going to discuss today. So. Matt and I had a debate about this. What were we going to do for this show? And we decided that since we love to kind of think about things from a GM perspective on certain teams, that we should just do that for an episode. And we've picked a group of uh, several teams that are really interesting and have moves to make, whether they're a rebuilding team or a contending team. And, yeah, we'll just give you our thoughts on what we would do in those team scenarios to get them to the next level or maybe to to do a teardown, etc. And let's get right into that. Absolutely. Let's get right into it. And I think we're starting off with a real doozy here, Mac. This is a team that you certainly will be very opinionated about. It's the frustrating Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, you and I tend to have a very similar consensus on the Leafs in the fact that they've got a decent team around there. They've got a very good forward core, and they've got a good goaltender in Frederick Anderson, but they just aren't super consistent when they need to be. And both of us are in pretty much universal agreement that a few moves here or there by Kyle Dubas could put them into the real conversation for contention. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of me thinks that maybe their window isn't really open yet, and it's kind of going to start to open in the next year or two. I think we maybe uh, overvalued what they had. And, and yes, they, they did look like a very good team on paper, but people forgot that they were still a very young team. And despite the fact that you have this kind of stacked roster and a very good roster that looks like it could maybe win a championship, the reality is that it's still young 
and it still has a ways to go, but there's a lot of promise. And I think I slowly started to accept that. And I'll admit, I was I was anxious and eager to see this team compete potentially for a championship. But I think every Leafs fan will tell you that they're not ready to do that yet, but they're getting there, It is what I would say. Yeah, I think that's a fair point there, Maka. Obviously, I'm a Sens fan, so even when I'm saying, you know, this team is pretty good, and I think one of the problems here in Ottawa, and you and I have talked about this before, and it's not a knock against the good people here in Ottawa, but a lot of Sens fans here in Ottawa kind of live in a bubble where they say, well, they're just used to the Leafs being bad. And I have to correct a lot of people at the Senators quite a bit saying, look, you know, the Leafs may be our rivals, but let's not kid ourselves. This is a pretty good hockey team. And they've, and Kyle Dubas and the front office staff there, they've built a, a solid team in Toronto. And I wouldn't be surprised if they'll be serious contenders for the Stanley Cup in a couple of years. I, I'm with you, Mac, where this is a good team, but I don't think their contention window is open quite yet. And that's not a bad thing because the Leafs are still a very young team and a lot of their up talent is just starting to get to their prime. And once guys like Matthews and Marner get to their prime, you got to watch out because those Maple Leafs are going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's get into our first kind of moves that we would make. And everybody knows that the Leafs need defensemen. And when you look at their roster right now, CC and Tyson Berry are not coming back. So you need to fill those spots if you're the Leafs. Remember Rasmus Sandin, who is an excellent young player and is just someone who Leaf fans are extremely excited about, is a defenseman that's going to be a regular next year. Then you have Travis Dermott, who has kind of made his home on the third pairing, hasn't been super impressive, kind of been up and down with the Leafs. And remember, Jake Muzzin will be healthy. So you have to look at it like this. You have Riley, Muzzin, Sandine, Justin Hall, Dermot, and maybe Timothy Lilligren. And if you today you signed Miko Lettinen, who is only 26 years old. He's represented Finland at the World Championships. And this year in the KHL with Jokerit, he had 17 goals and 32 assists. By all accounts, this guy was the best available defenseman in Europe, and you signed him to an entry-level contract. Huge deal for the Leafs because you need those kind of small cap hit signings. And I think Kyle Dubas deserves a lot of credit for recruiting this guy, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely does. And as you said, he's a, he looks like he's going to be a solid player. As you mentioned, best defenseman in Europe. And since he's on that ELC, you're not going to take a big cap hit with them. It's a pretty low-risk signing, in my opinion. But it's one of those signings where low-risk, high-reward. Right. So, But then if you, if you think about the first thing you should do, if you can move one of Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen and get another defenseman in return, because you don't really know what Timothy Lilligren is going to be yet. He may need some more time. There's nothing wrong with that. I think you can get a pretty good return. I think there's defensemen on the market that teams will trade for a Kapanen or a Janssen. Yeah, you're right. Uh, both Kapanen and Janssen would be highly sought after if they were to be put on the trade block. Neither one of them carry a huge cap hit, really. 
but enough that if you free up that money, for example, Kasperi Kapanen carries a $3.2 million cap it, that's the money for Kyle Dubas to work with. And we've seen lots of signings where you, especially on the defensive front, where you don't need to make a big splash on your defensive end to really bolster your defense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that you and I agreed on here is we're not really sure what the future holds for Freddie Anderson because what I can say from my perspective is that he's been very good for the Leafs. And if you know how poorly they've played in front of him, you know how good he is. But with that said, he's older. You've acquired Jack Campbell, who's also a very good goalie. And if you can create some cap space, which I I think he'll be able to do, there's some options out there for the Leafs. Maybe you can find a way to fit in a Robin Lehner, who is one of the best goalies in the league, in my opinion. And the other thing with Anderson that people don't really think about is Mike Babcock played him way too much. Way too much during his tenure with the Leafs. So... He's definitely benefiting from a little more rest and bringing in someone like Jack Campbell. But I think maybe the Leafs will be moving on from him and maybe trading him or letting him go as a free agent because, yes, he's been good for you, but you and I have discussed this so much really over the past year, and and you and I are very big on a tandem system where two goalies can play and it works it really does. You look at Edmonton this year with Smith and Koskinen. They were outstanding. Neither goalie plays too much. Neither goalie plays too little. Markstrom is out there. Antti Ranta is a guy who I think is expendable for the Coyotes with Darcy Kemper and some of the young goalies they have there. So you have options. And uh, yeah, you're... The, Leafs, you're... the Leafs don't really need to worry too much about that right now. But I do think this is a decision that uh, is going to be made real soon. You're right. Eh? And uh, Frederick Anderson is only three. So, you know, he's got, he's still relatively young. You know, he's in the prime of his career as a goaltender. And it's not something you need to rush into. But I think you're right. A tandem system would work very well for Frederick Anderson. We've seen throughout the league, a lot of teams start to go to that system because I don't think we're going to see goalies play 60, 70 games even anymore. I think GMs and coaches are smart enough to figure out if we split our starting time kind of 55, 45 or there and about, you can have some really good results. And I think that it would be very beneficial for Frederick Anderson and I think it would be beneficial for the Leafs as a whole. Yeah, not only that, but you save money doing that. I mean, if you have a tandem system, you're not paying any goalie eight and a half, nine million dollars, right? And that's huge in today's NHL. And just look at how the uh, Florida Panthers, I know it's only year one, but I think it's safe to say they got burned pretty hard on the Bobrovsky deal. Yeah. Well, remember, they thought they were getting Bobrovsky and Panarin, and uh, Mm -hmm. I think Panarin dodged a bullet there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for sure. And the other thing about the Leafs, and it's something you and I have brought up a few times, Mac, is graphics. And it's something that I think Kyle Dubas is slowly starting to remedy. But you look at this year's 
draft picks for the Maple Leafs. You don't have your first rounder. You don't have your third rounder. You don't have your own fifth rounder. And you've given up your own seventh rounder. Now, to be fair to the Leafs, Mac, in the later rounds, for example, in round six, you have three picks. And in round seven, you have three picks. That's pretty good. Even though it is the later rounds, you and I can both probably name a whole bunch of examples off the top of our heads of guys who get picked in the fifth, sixth, seventh round that turn out to be absolute steals. So having picks at that point in the draft isn't a bad thing. But for Kyle Dubas, he certainly would like to have his first rounder every year, some more second and third rounders. Because for the next two years, the draft looks pretty deep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you will see him really start to protect those picks. You mentioned that uh, some of these trades he had to make. For example, you had to get Patrick Marlowe off the books. And that was a mistake by Lou Lamorello that he is paying for. So that's hard to blame him for. And then the Muzzin and Jack Campbell trades are good trades, in my opinion. It's hard to find guys like that. And they're both still fairly young and very good at their ages. So, And the other thing, like you said, is they have made the most of the draft picks they've had. You look at guys like Nicholas Robertson, Abramov, you know, the list goes on. So, and you know they have a lot of resources. They're one of the wealthiest teams in the league. So I don't see any reason that won't continue. But I think that just about does it for the Leafs here. Certainly an interesting team. And I'm I'm fascinated to see the approach Dubas is taking this offseason because there's a lot of things he could do. I mean, we don't really know what his plans are for the Leafs quite yet, do we? No, uh, we don't know quite what his plans are. I don't see the Leafs selling. I remember as the Leafs approached the deadline back in February, they weren't strong rumors. I didn't believe them, but I do remember, at least on sports radio here, some of the guys were saying, well, the Leafs should start selling a little. And, you know, it's not something I'm entirely against. I'm with you. I think if you can move a guy like a Kapanen, I think that that would be beneficial for the Leafs. And, you know, maybe Kyle Dubas does have to move one of his top-tier players to free up some cap space and bring in some defend, defensive depth. It, it's something that I don't think he'll rule out. Obviously, if he can avoid doing that and kind of pull a Chicago where you kind of always have to maneuver around the cap and and get those uh, lower-level contracts to build up your depth, that might be a route that he wants to go as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how Kyle Dubas approaches this. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the next team, and also in the same division, the Buffalo Sabres. This is a team that, uh, let's be honest, not much has gone well for the Sabres in the last kind of 10, 15 years. And they they are in a spot right now where you have some good pieces, but you still seem like you're a long ways off. And, and I think that is also because you just don't have enough talent on this team, Matt. The product they put on the ice is just not good enough. No, and if you're a Buffalo fan, it certainly has to be frustrating when you have the likes of Eichel and Darlene, two top-tier prospects turned into, I'd say, elite-level talent. Darlene's still got a little ways to go, but I have no doubts that he'll be a great player for years to come. 
you and you've seen the flashes of brilliance from, from Buffalo. Prime example, the start of the season, they get off to a really hot start, and you know what? It's a common joke at this point that I I fell for the Buffalo Sabers tricks at the start of the season. But you know what? I've been waiting for Buffalo to do something for so long, and they've they've got some decent pieces there, but it's just not enough. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the guys that probably is on his way out, we've heard this for years now, is Rasmus Ristolainen. And we're not saying that Rasmus Ristolainen is not a good defenseman, but you've got Jake McCabe, who's a very good kind of shutdown defenseman, and you've got... Rasmus Dahlin, like you mentioned, and Colin Miller, although he didn't have a good year, is still a pretty good defenseman, in my opinion. And you've got some other guys coming up. So you don't really need Ristol. And this is an opportunity to maybe get a forward, get a goalie, or something like that. Probably more a forward, because if you look at their forward group, Matt, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's just not good enough. I mean... Eichel is literally carrying this team night in, night out, and he has next to no help. I mean, you played Jeff Skinner, the guy you paid $9 million for, with him last year. And this year, you didn't play him with Eichel. The results are staggering. Last year, he had 40 goals. This year, 14. That's the Eichel effect. And you and I have both had the privilege to watch Buffalo Sabres games live. And, you know, Buffalo, unfortunately, here in Ottawa, isn't one of the more popular teams for fans to go out and watch. But, you know, Buffalo can be very entertaining. And if Buffalo is in your city and you get and you have the opportunity to go see Jack Eichel play live, he is he is just absolutely incredible. He's, he's so fast up and down the ice, and his hockey sense is absolutely incredible. There's a reason why... When you play with a guy like Jack Eichel, your stats get inflated tenfold. Yeah, for sure. But like you, like we said, the forwards just aren't good enough. I believe Olafson is a very good player. Ryan Hart's a very good player. You mentioned Eichel. I think Marcus Johansson is a guy who is a really good two-way player. I'm not a huge Jeff Skinner guy. Never have been. I don't think Jimmy Vesey's that great. And then you go down the list. I mean, it's just Zemkis, Giergensen's, Kyle Opozo, Johan Larson's okay as kind of a checking forward, Curtis Lazar, Dominic Cahoon, Michael Frolik, Vladimir Sabotka, Wayne Simmons. You know, it's just it's just not good enough. It really isn't. No, but the good news is is you do have some pieces like Arista Lion that you can move. That teams would definitely want, and you could certainly get some picks or some top tier prospects, or you know, some some solid forward help right away. Risk the line would fetch a pretty good price out on the open market. Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely positives here. I mean, it, it's kind of one of those situations where Jason Botterill has to kind of evaluate what he has and build around his best players and maybe make some tough decisions because every contending team has to do that. I think one yeah. thing that they they really need, Matt, is goaltending. I mean, you have Lukanen coming up, and, and we're both very high on him. But other than that, you have Linus Allmark. 
But Carter Hutton has not been great for the Sabres overall. Hasn't been a great signing. The positive about him is it's not a lot of money, so it's not difficult to move or maybe you let his contract expire. But again, I mean, if you bring in a guy to play in a tandem with Dennis Allman and then maybe that guy plays for a year or two and then Lukanen's ready and he's ready to compete with Allmark, that is the perfect situation. Or you could even maybe go after a veteran who's won a Stanley Cup and won a Vesna Trophy like a Braden Holtby. Yeah, that's a possibility in, in Buffalo. The nice thing about a Holtby is that he's at the stage of his career and the age he's at, you know, you probably wouldn't have to pay too, too much to bring in Holpe. And when, with that signing, you the nice thing is you aren't going to bring him in super long-term. And that that's good because it kind of makes a, a bridge between the new and the old, if that makes any sense, Mac. Yeah, for sure. Now, the other thing that I think you and I are critical of the Sabres on is their drafting. Because mm-hmm. you would think that the team that has basically been rebuilding and retooling for who knows how many years now would have a better prospect pool. But they're actually kind of middle of the pack. They're around 15, 16 in most team prospect rankings I've seen. And that's just kind of hard to believe, but that's the truth. I mean,. Look at last year's draft. You got Dylan Cousins, who is great at number seven. But if you continue in the draft, at number 31, you picked uh, Ryan Johnson, the defenseman out of the USHL. You could have picked Kaliev. You could have picked Nick Robertson. I don't think that's a good pick by Buffalo. And then you go to the 2018 draft. You've got Darlene, who's a slam dunk. Like, you're not not picking him. But then at pick 32, you had a guy like Alex Romanov, now arguably the top D prospect outside of the NHL, and he's coming over next year for Montreal. He was available at 32. So was Jared McIsaac. So was Kalen Addison. But they took Matthias Samuelson. So those are not great decisions. But the other thing is they haven't had a lot of draft picks to play with. I mean, he hasn't done a great job of managing his draft picks overall. But definitely in the past, you're right. Uh, Buffalo has most of their draft picks over the next three years. They have all their firsts, of course. And the only picks that they don't have this year are the third rounder and the sixth rounder. And those are picks that you can acquire at the draft for very little. But on your point about later picks in the later rounds for Buffalo, you, you bring up an excellent point. There's a lot of really good guys like a Romanoff that are picked right after you pick. And the thing is, and it's something I've said before, Mac, and I'll say it again, the early picks are the easy ones, but mm-hmm. the later picks are the ones where you can build a Stanley Cup contending team. And for Buffalo, those are to improve that, that those aren't anything you have to do on the ice. It's not day-to-day stuff. It's improving the budget for your scouting and hiring better scouts and putting more resources into your scouting department so that you can find the steals in the second, third, fourth, etc. Those are the moves that you got to make to make sure you have a deep prospect system. 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing we both wondered is, and we don't know this for sure, but we've heard reports and kind of whispers out there that working for the Pagulas is, is a tough gig because it's kind of one of those situations where maybe they don't let the general manager properly do his job. Um, we don't know this for a fact, but it is possible. I mean, in Pittsburgh, Botterill was, I believe, an assistant to the general manager. So he had a job where the front op, the uh, owners did not interfere with him at all doing his job. Whereas here, I think that may go on a little bit. And we don't know if Buffalo is willing to spend that extra, you know, few million dollars on scouting. We really don't know that. You're right. But here's an interesting theory, Mac. And... You know, it's kind of out there, but, you know, this is this is why we have the show. The Buffalo Bills seem like they've gotten a lot more freedom. You know what I mean? They've made some, and I don't want to bring football too much into our great hockey show here, but you and I both, we keep, a, we keep an eye on the NFL and what kind of moves they are. But I'd say both Mac and I would say we're Buffalo Bills fans. We don't follow the NFL day by day. But anyways, both of us have commented saying, hey, the Bills have made – some really good moves this offseason. And I feel like the Bills have been given a bit more freedom by the Pagulas. So you think it's possible that they might be letting up a little? Or the other potential here, Mac, is that the, let's say the Bills start winning. Let's say they have a really good 2020-2021 season. And, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into football, but from everything they've done, they look like they'll be a good team in their division. That puts the pressure on Buffalo. And uh, Jason Botterill, I think the pressure will ramp up on him from ownership if if the Pagulas are saying, look, the Bills, your counterpart across town, are winning so many games and they're doing all these sorts of things with the resources we're giving them. Why aren't you doing it? I know it's kind of out there, Matt, but we, we've kind of seen that situation before in other cities where an owner owns an NFL team, NBA team along with an NHL team. Yeah, that's that's definitely possible. I mean, we know for sure that the Bills make a lot more money than the Sabres, and they're a historic franchise, of course. So they don't have any trouble selling tickets, merchandise, despite their inability to do much in the playoffs the uh, last kind of 10, 15 years. But like you said, they're, they're a contending team. Last year they went pretty, you know, fairly far in the playoffs, and They've made some moves in the offseason uh, that set them up to be hopefully a Super Bowl contender. We'll see what happens. But um, my feeling is the Sabres, I mean, at least from when I went there, every game that we had considered going to, my friend and I, there were tickets available. And they sell about, I heard it's like 50% of their tickets, people who don't live in New York State, which is staggering. Well, you know what's interesting about that, Mac, and this is coming from someone that works for the Senators organization, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't think the number is quite as high as Buffalo, but there's a pretty high margin of fans that come in from out of town, whether it be for hockey tournaments or just general tourists and people that want to see games. And I've always found that interesting. When you go to sporting events regularly, and of course, right now we can't do that. But when we can again, you you start to realize how much people tr- will travel for sports and 
go and see events. It's quite something to see. Yeah, and they, of course, the other thing is tickets are cheap. I mean, just as an example, if you're in Canada, we went to uh, two or three Sabres games this year, and you can get, you know, 10 rows up behind the goalies for about roughly 90, 100 bucks Canadian, which is just absurd compared to what you're paying in somewhere like Toronto or Montreal, etc. So if you want to go see a game, I highly recommend really hoping this team can start to turn things around. They've got some tough decisions, but they've also got a lot of great pieces like we talked about. And it'll be an interesting offseason for Jason Botterill and the Sabres. Yeah, and uh, interesting offseason for all, of course, with everything that's happened. But you know, particularly for the teams on this list, it's going to be a big offseason. Now, now let's get back on track. Uh, let's move up the road to La Belle Provence and talk about Montreal, Matt. Now, Montreal, uh, an interesting organization because, you know, Montreal fans, very, very passionate fans. And you and I actually recently went, The Athletic has done some fabulous surveys, and if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, highly, we highly recommend you go and check out the fan surveys for mm-hmm. all sorts of different teams because the results are just incredible. And from what Mac and I gathered from reading the Montreal Canadiens fan survey on The Athletic is that the Canadians really need some more depth. And the prospect pool is okay, but they could do better. Oh, the prospect pool itself is very, very good. It's, you know, top three in the league, most people would say. But overall, the talent on the team right now is not the best. I mean, I think the best example is your left side of your defense. Yeah, you've got Shea Weber and Petrie, and those two are are great. You know, two of the better defenders in the league. But then you go to the left side, and what do you have? You have, like, Victor, Mate. And not a whole lot else. Now, the good news is we mentioned Romanov, who you stole in that draft, who should have been taken earlier, but fell to you. He's supposed to come over this year. This guy is a dynamic defenseman that is not um, is not purely offensive. He's also a two-way defender, so he'll help out as well. But I think the other thing here at play is you have a decision to make on Max Domi and Jonathan Druin. And I think you and I like both players, but I personally, I don't know about you, I'm not head over heels to keep these guys. No, you're right. And I'll correct myself. I, I meant to say, I meant to bring up Domi and Druin when I brought in the team. But you know what's interesting, Mac, is you and I aren't alone on those sentiments. On the athletic fan survey, there was certainly a lot of desire for Mark Bergevin to move one or both of those guys. They don't seem to be the most popular players in Montreal right now. And, you know, when Domi went to Montreal, they they tried to make him a center. And, you know, it really hasn't worked out as well as Montreal would have hoped it did. And I think that Montreal fans would like to see guys like Domi and Druin moved out for some picks and prospects and just some roster space so that you can bring up some of your top tier talent. Yeah, absolutely. And you have Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who in my opinion is going to be a very good NHL player. He just needs a little more time and he is a center. So 
I think he's going to be very good for them in the future. But I, I just really worry that they're going to pay too much for a guy like Max Domi. I think Drew in, they don't really, they're not very thrilled with him. I mean, they gave up a lot to get him. Everybody knows what they gave up. Um, Sergachev from Tampa yep. Bay. Um, so that's not an easy thing to deal with when you, when you trade, you know, high talent for high talent and it just blows up in your face like that. I mean, Jonathan Druin has been extremely disappointing for Montreal. So I don't know if those guys stay around. I mean, I just worry that for someone like Domi, I mean, he put up good numbers, but like how much money in term is he looking for here? And you, like you mentioned, you have prospects coming up. You have Kotkaniemi coming up. And you have Romanov. And you have a pretty solid team. You just need to kind of add some more pieces. And if you sign Max Domi to a lucrative contract, like maybe a seven, seven and a half, eight million dollars per year, is that really worth it for you? I don't think so. Yeah, I think you're right there, Mac. Uh, I, I don't think this is a situation where you want to be committing big dollars to guys like Adomi because you're going to need that cap space for some of your better prospects that are going to come up and are going to demand the big dollars. And I think that Montreal, they're on a good trajectory right now, but I think if you can move a guy like a Domi or a Druin and get something, some assets back, that's a big plus for Bergevin. The other thing that Montreal really needs to do is they need to bring in a backup goaltender for Carey Price. You and I have talked about this before, but Montreal has had three backup goaltenders for Carey Price this year, and neither of them have really worked out. Yeah, they, they've taken a very lax approach in terms of the backup goalie. They kind of signed some veteran who they feel like can play maybe 10, 15 games, and they continue to play Carey Price way too much. But, I mean, just think about it this way. If you bring in an Anton who or strong backup to give him a break, and Anton Hudobin, say, plays 20, 25 games and plays very well like he did with Dallas, and you improve your roster and your left side of your defense, that is going to make a huge difference in terms of your overall points in the season, isn't it? Yeah, it will, especially since... As you and I talked about earlier, it seems like the league is trending toward tandems. And Carey Price is 32 years old now, Mac. And you and I have seen watching Carey Price. He's still a very good goaltender. But you can see that the amount of shots and the amount of games he's played through his career has started to take a toll on him. And I'd rather have Carey Price play 45 or 50% less games in the season, but have him healthy and at his peak performance come playoff time when you really need him to play and take a heavy load exactly and now now here comes the fun stuff because we all kind of laughed at montreal last year when they put in the offer sheet for aho and and they kind of fabricated some reports that he wanted to play there which obviously were not true but there were some stones there from bergevin and i kind of liked it a little bit i think everybody did so here's where it gets really interesting i think you can put in an offer sheet for Mikhail Sergachev. What do you mm. think, Matt? Mm. I, here's the thing, Mac. And I know a lot of people get upset about GMs doing that, but here's the thing. 
yeah, it's taboo, but why is it? You know, it's not illegal. You're allowed to do it. And if you're a team like Tampa and you let a guy like a Sergachev or a Carolina with Ajo get to restricted free agency and you haven't signed him yet, I think it should be fair game for other teams to offer sheet your players. I think it should be it's kind of a punishment for not signing your good players sooner. And I think it's taboo when it shouldn't be. And for Montreal, this is, if they can put in a competitive offer for Sergeyev, I mean, the thing with Tampa Bay, and you and I brought it up before, Tampa basically has no cap space right now. And they've got a lot of guys that they need to resign over the offseason. And you know, a guy like Sergeyev may slip through the cracks. And if you can make a decent offer sheet that, Tampa can't match. Yeah, you're gonna give up a, a draft pick or two to Tampa Bay, but you but you're gonna get Mikhail Sergachev back when you really shouldn't have gotten rid of him in the first place. You're basically correcting the uh, Druin trade. Now, if this happens, this will be one of the greatest stories of all time in NHL. When you have a guy that you gave away for Druin, and let's say they move on from Druin in some capacity, and then they sign him to an offer sheet, and Tampa can't match, and then they get Sergachev back. That would be something else. I mean, it's hard to imagine it actually happening, because like you said, offer sheets just don't happen that much. But remember, he did it last year with Ajo, and I think you and I feel that if he offered maybe a million dollars more per year, he probably would have got Ajo. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, they, I think they were close to getting Ajo. I know that the perception in the media is that Montreal just threw this in because they felt like it, and there was no way they were going to get Ajo. But, you know, if Bergevin really wanted to get Ajo, I feel like he probably could have gotten him. And I think both of us, as I stated a little earlier, both of us are kind of the opinion that offer sheeting restricted free agents really shouldn't be taboo like it is in the league. Yeah, I agree. I don't see anything wrong with it. And and I think you and I would welcome more player movement in the NHL because the NHL can be kind of boring in that respect. Yeah. Whereas the other leagues like the NFL and the NBA, there's tons of player movement every year. Exactly. And, you know, a, a move like getting Sergeyev on a team that has no cap space, that could be the floodgates opening, you know. All it mm. takes is one big move like that from a guy like a Bergman and off to the races you go. No longer will you have all summer to sign some of your best free agent, restricted free agents because they're not going to get offer sheeted. Now you have to worry about it. And I think that it's it's especially good for the players because you're going to get better offers from the team you're currently on. But it also gives other teams options to go after guys that they normally would never have a shot at. Yeah, and remember, we play in a salary cap league. It's not like we're on payroll like MLB or other sports. So I agree. I don't I don't think it should be such a big deal and frowned upon so much. I think every GM should have a right to do it. And part of me wished it happened more. I know there's a mutual respect among GMs, and they, they personally hate doing it. But I think maybe it will start to happen a little bit more because – these high-profile RFAs, Matt, they aren't going away. There's all these young players that will become RFAs and will be attractive to other teams, like, seemingly every year. Exactly. I think it 
kind of opens up a pseudo free agency for some of these young players. Yeah, they can't pick and choose what teams they go after, but it does give your your young player coming off an ELC who usually just re-signs for you know two or three, maybe more years, depending on the type of player they are with the team they're on. Now it now it opens up a few more options. I think that it would change the game of restricted free agency forever, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. So Montreal always an interesting team, but I think this off season very interesting as well. Uh, let's move on to the Metropolitan Division and the Carolina bunch of jerks Hurricanes. Yeah, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, a team that is kind of tough to figure out at times, Mac, because you have a very active trade deadline and you make some big moves like bringing in a Trocheck. And Carolina, as of right now, are out of a playoff spot. But, you know, the thing is, even if they end up missing the playoffs or the season gets suspended or canceled and we go to the fall, Carolina is still in a very good position. But doesn't mean they can't, they shouldn't, can't and shouldn't make moves to improve their team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're at a point now, like you said, where you're you're starting to really contend and you made the playoffs last year. You're really close this year. But you still have a few gaping needs. And I think number one is a premium goaltender. I mean, you have an opportunity this offseason with your cap space and maybe trading a, one of your defensemen away because you don't need all of them to go after a Robin Lehner or a Jakob Markstrom Remember, you have not had a goalie like that since Cam Ward in his younger days. So it's been a while. And yeah, Mrazek is a solid goalie, but I don't think I don't think he's a guy you would want starting a lot of games. And they've ran with him and Reimer this year, and the results are pretty solid. But if you really want to contend, I mean, why wouldn't you want to go after these guys? Exactly. And every year when the team wins the Stanley Cup, like especially last year with Jordan Bennington and the year before with Brayden Holpe, you and I can go on and on. Good goaltending is the key to any Stanley Cup championship. And if Carolina has the opportunity to get a top-tier goaltender like a Markstrom or a Leonard, which they will, you should do any everything in your power to sign a goaltender of that caliber because how often do two premium quality goaltenders end up on the free agency market? Not very often. Yeah, exactly. And you you have so many good pieces. I mean, you have Ah, Svechnikov, you have Nikosh, you have an incredible defense, which you can actually afford to trade at least one of the guys away. And I think Brett Pesci Maybe the guy that will go because if you look ahead to the expansion draft, we talked about this on the last show, I believe. You acquired Brady yeah, Shea did. at the trade deadline, right? And he's a first-round pick. He's a very good player. So you could probably afford to move on from Pesci, and you'd certainly get a lot for him. Teams are always looking for top four, and him being a right shot is only a bonus. So maybe you could move him for a for a really good forward 
to play with your Tuvo Teravainen, Aho, Sveshnikov, etc., and make your team that much better. And the other guy that I think is probably going to be moved anyway is Jim. I don't think he's had a great run with Carolina. I don't think they're super happy with him. I don't think Rob Brendamore or the Carolina Brass is very happy with him at all. So you could also move him if you wanted to try and keep Pesci. But either way, I mean, the Hurricanes have an opportunity to really take the next step without really messing with their team too much and not getting too close to the cap. So if they can make these moves, Matt, if you can get a laner or Markstrom, if you can trade a Pesci for like a premium forward and maybe relieve yourself of a Jake Gardner, I mean, this is a, this could be a really good team next year. Yeah, you're right. And I almost compare, not exactly in terms of simulate situations, but Carolina and Toronto are kind of in similar situations where you've got a really good core group, but you're only a few, you only need to make a few moves to really put your team to the next step. And particularly for Carolina with where they are and how young their team is and how deep their defense is, you're right. You can move a guy like Apache and it won't hurt your defensive core that much. And the other thing is, I'm glad you brought up the expansion draft because one thing both of us said when we were doing the Hurricanes is it was very hard to find a way to protect all the guys you want to protect. And just with how deep Caroline is on defense, you you can't really do that. And I think that if you can move some of the guys that you don't need quite as much and get some good pieces back as well, that would help you not only short-term with making your team better, but in the near short-term, long-term future with the expansion draft. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's that's all we have to say about Carolina. Another really interesting team. And let's continue to another young team division, the New York Rangers. The Rangers, both of us feel, are kind of right on the edge between not being a playoff team and being a playoff team. And the one thing you have to remember about them is they have an incredibly good prospect system. They're a good team now. They still need a few more pieces. And I think that starts on defense. Because if you look at their defense, Matt, you've got Adam Fox. You've got Jacob Truba. You've got Tony D'Angelo, um, which is a pretty good group. And you do have good prospects like Keandre Miller and Zach Jones, but nothing that's quite NHL ready yet. So, like Mark Stahl, for example, I know he's your assistant captain but he's not worth the money you're paying him, and he's not the best defender anymore. You could really stand to improve the left side of your defense and and provide help for um, the young goalies you have in your system. Because I think what the Rangers showed this year is offense is not going to be a problem, especially with guys like Zibanejad and Panarin and Kraftsov and Kako. I mean... Rangers fans have a reason to be very excited for the future here. Yeah, you're right. And don't forget, you also guys like, have guys like Ryan Strom that will be restricted free agents, but I don't see why they won't return next year. They've had He's had a very good year. And overall, if you're a New York fan, yeah, your team wasn't going to make the playoffs this year in all likelihood, but you're still, you still should be very excited about what this team can do. And – it's all about tweaking the roster at this point. You've got the prospects that 
that are going to be good, and you've got the players on your team now that can make a difference, like a, a Panarin and his advantage at it, as you mentioned. But now it's about making tweaks. And I think one of the big moves they need to make soon, and you and I have brought it up before, is you got to deal with Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, he's your uh, franchise goaltender, and he's well-loved in New York, but I'd say most fans would agree that it's time to move on from Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist. He's 38 years old. His cap hit is $8.5 million. And you got guys like Gorgiev and Shesterkin that put up really good numbers this year and are still on their ELCs. So not only do you free up cap space, you declutter the goaltending system, and you can find some room to bring in some guys that you need. Definitely. That's a great point you made. That's pretty much all we would do if we were the Rangers. I mean, you don't have to rush this thing too much. I think you mentioned Ryan Strom. The other guy they should re-sign is Jesper Fast, who is kind of a extremely well-liked guy and does everything well. He's very underrated around the NHL, and he won't cost you too much. So the Rangers, I think if you can improve your left side of your defense a little bit, like you said, you've got to find a way to deal with Lundqvist, whether that's a buyout, that may be the most likely thing, or maybe you can trade him. We don't know, but... Like you said, the kids need to play, and I think they will. So let's move on to a real contender for the Stanley Cup, and now and in the future, the Colorado Avalanche. Oh boy, the Avalanche. You and I like to rave about them on this show, don't we? And the thing with Colorado is, I'd say, of the teams that we talk about on this list, they probably... These are probably some of the most aggressive moves that we have proposed, eh, Mac? Yeah, but with good reason, right? Exactly. The thing that holds back Colorado is really just a little bit of depth. I think they need a little bit of more forward depth to build around guys like Landis Cog and McKinnon so that when those guys inevitably go out with injuries like we saw before the NHL season got suspended with McKinnon being out for a few weeks, Everyone kind of knew uh, that's not good for Colorado. And you, if you look at the depth of Colorado this year, you and I have brought it up before, it's basically McKinnon and yeah, Landis Clark had some injury problems, so his numbers were a bit down this year. But it's basically those two and everyone else, and it's not even close. And if you can close that gap just a little, that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the, now would you care to talk about the big move that uh, you've proposed, Mac, because it's something we brought up before. We actually brought it up in one of our most more recent episodes, but I think it bears worth repeating here. Yeah, and that's that's Taylor Hall. And before we get into that, I did want to mention that they've had a ton of injuries this year. Let's let's be fair to them. I mean, Miko yeah, Rantanen has been out most of the year, so his numbers are not where they would normally be. Kadri's missed a lot of time, you know, Zadarov, like the list goes on and on, the goalies, it, it really is crazy. So you have to keep that in mind. But having said that, like you said, they could really benefit from making some big moves here. And, and Taylor Hall is is one of the big moves they could make. And, and we've outlined scenarios where you could make the move for Taylor or you could go in a different direction. Now, the thing is, if you make the Taylor Hall move, you're not left with a lot of space to do much else. And you, you already have Miko Rantanen, who 
has played with Landeskog and McKinnon. Do you really want to take that spot away from him by bringing in a Taylor? I don't know. It's a tough call to make because maybe you could you could say, okay, well, we'll play him with Kadri or we'll move Landeskog to the second line. But is that something you really want to do? I don't know. And what? Joe Sackick has done a great job of managing this team and managing the cap and making smart decisions year after year. So I don't know if he's going to do this as much as it would be cool to see. I'm starting to think maybe it won't happen. Well, the big thing that I think that Sakic will look at is he'll look at the trend that he thinks Hall is on because, you know, we, we've seen the heart seasons from Taylor Hall and he's been unbelievable in those seasons. But over the past couple of years, injuries have certainly gotten to him and he hasn't put up the numbers that we're used to seeing from Taylor Hall. He's struggled on a team like the Coyotes. Now, to be fair to Hall, I don't think the Coyotes played the type of system that would benefit a guy like Hall. So you got to keep that in mind. But the alternative, Mac, and you and I have discussed this before as well, is that you know you could use a, a better goaltender. You go out and get Grubauer a couple years ago, but doesn't quite work out the way you want it to, and you could use a top-tier goaltender. And Markstrom and Leonard, as we mentioned when we were talking about Carolina, they're available this offseason. You've got the cap space to get them. And you could probably also grab a guy like Mike Hoffman or Dadanov. And for the for probably that less money overall than you'd spend on Taylor Hall. So Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the question I think Sakic's gotta ask is does he wanna make the big one big splash or does he wanna make a few little splashes? Right. And the situation you're in right now, your team is not that far away from being the best team in the Western Conference. I think everyone agrees that the best team in the Western Conference is the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. But the Avs, despite all their injuries this year, they're really close. They're not that far away. And you have a ton of young talent still coming up. I mean, Byram hasn't even played yet. I mean, new hook, like the list goes on and on. And you have guys like Tyson Jost who are still very young and, and you would like to be able to keep if you can it, in the upcoming expansion draft. But this team, in my opinion, is only going to get better as the year. This is a really crucial point for them because, like you mentioned, you have an opportunity to, to make some moves to really kickstart your Stanley Cup contention window because last year I mean they smoked the flames in round one and after that they they had a pretty good run but they just didn't quite have enough to deal with some of those top tier teams whereas if you look ahead you know a year or two like this team is loaded Matt and they're only going to get better and I think that's the scary part for the rest of the league (laughs) yeah no question. But that's the one nice thing Colorado has is that really right now you, you, you can't really make any bad moves if you're Joe Sackett because you've got so much talent and depth and, and a great prospect system at your disposal. You can almost do no wrong here. And I think it's just more about the tweaks than the big splashes at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think... Maybe he'll go that direction. We'll see. 
Now let's move on to a team that is one of the whipping boys podcast and has been for some time, the Nashville Predators. Oh boy, uh, the thing with Nashville is originally we weren't going to put them on our list, but then you and I started talking about the moves David Poyle has made over the past few years, and we I don't think we'll go as far to say that he's made shark-type moves, but some of the moves he's made have certainly been questionable. Yeah, and that that probably goes with the fact that this team has been in contention, and they've had some really good years, and they have some great fans that are making a lot of money. Usually they they put a good product on the ice, but every time they get close, they run into a powerhouse like a Pittsburgh, a Chicago, you know, the list goes on and on, and they just don't have enough. But if you look at their team right now, I mean, I think you and I would agree that they're a borderline playoff team at best with not a lot of cap space, and it's an old team. I mean, the average age of your forwards is 28, defense is 29.5, and goalies is 31. You really need a bit of a youth movement here. Yeah, you do. And one of the nice things that David Pohl does have at his disposal here, Matt, is you've got some guys that teams might be willing to give up some of their younger players for. And I think if you can make those moves, you can quickly turn your team from an older team to a younger, faster team. Yeah, absolutely. We know about the Kevin Fiala trade for Granlund, which was a huge mistake. I mean, you look at Granlund, a pending UFA, and Fiala is starting to really hit his stride at the NHL level with Minnesota. And everybody knows about the Kyle Turris trade and how far back that set your team. The Predators, despite the fact of the points we mentioned, you know, they're an old team. We mentioned the average age of the forwards, defense, and goalies. And there is a bit of a need for a youth movement. But there is, there is some promise here with this Predators team. I mean, you still have some good pieces, like Forsberg, Fabro, Yossi, Ekholm, Ellis, most of your draft picks. And the other thing is, you've got Granlund, who's a pending UFA, and also Craig Smith, who is a pending UFA. So when those two guys hit the market, you're going to have about $9, $10 million in cap space, which the Predators haven't had for a long time. So... Again, this is kind of one of those situations where what does David Poyle do with that cap space? Is he going to be very cautious with it, or does he go out and spend it right away? I mean, you would think maybe he'll spend it, but I don't know. We talked about Doug Wilson uh, later in the show, and it seems like maybe he's starting to realize that changes are needed with San Jose. The question is, does David Poyle realize or understand that with Nashville? I mean, you have a team here that, although it has been competitive, it hasn't won anything, hasn't had much playoff success at all. And right now it's it's just not that great. I mean, it's a borderline playoff team at best. Yeah, you bring up some excellent points there, Mac. Uh, Definitely having Smith and Gramlin's contracts off the book is going to be a huge boon. And you're going to have that $9, $10 million in cap space you can spend, but 
if you're David Paul right now, Mac, I don't think you have to go and spend right to the cap now that you've got that space available. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I absolutely think Nashville should have a bit of a youth movement here. And if Paul can use that money and invest in some younger players, particularly in the goaltending situation, which we'll get to in a moment, I think that you can see Nashville going from a borderline playoff team at best back into the potential contending conversation they were in a couple years ago. Yeah, they're not they're not in a terrible situation like you mentioned. They just they need to cool it on these long-term contracts for for big name free agents because I mean how does that Matt Duchesne contract look right now? Not great. As as a prime example, right? Yeah, that's a very good example and and look, both you and I are pretty big fans of Matt Duchesne. He's a very solid player. But I think most people in the league would say you overpaid for Matt Duchesne and his production hasn't quite been where you want it to be for the money he's getting paid. Yeah, and la- the last thing we wanted to cover here is that you do have some contracts you could potentially move. Kyle Turris is probably going to be pretty difficult to move and you're going to have to pay extra such as draft picks and i don't think the predators can afford to do that right now so you'll you'll have to be creative or you'll have to eat some of that money and try and avoid at all costs paying for someone to take that contract and then there's ryan johansson ryan johansson's a is a damn good player not saying he's not but again you have an older team and this is a guy who, although he's a top center, he's not kind of uh, one of the really elite centers in the league, in my opinion. He's still very good. And then maybe you could trade a Matthias Ekholm or a Ryan Ellis. I mean, this is not quite, they don't have quite as much talent as like a San Jose, for example, but there's still a lot here. And if you can just shake things up a bit and, create some more cap space. You mentioned the youth movement. This is not a terrible situation for Nashville, but if they continue in the direction they're going, which is spending to the cap and just tacking on veteran after veteran on an already old team, this is not going to work. You took the words right out of my mouth there, Mac. This is a crossroads for the Nashville Predators here, Mac, and I certainly hope they go down the right path here and embrace the youth. The other thing that you need to look at if you're David Poyle is the goaltending situation. We mentioned it a little earlier, but as you said, Nashville is a very old team, and the goaltending certainly reflects that as well. I'm a big Pecorine fan, Mac. He's been in the pipes for Nashville for over a decade now, and he's certainly the best goalie they've ever had, and he's delivered them some big wins. But let's not kid ourselves here, Mac. Uh, Pecorine hasn't been good over the past couple years, and his age is starting to show. And even with UC Saros, I don't think the goaltending situation, even in a tandem, is that great there. The good news, though, Mac, is that you do have Connor Ingram, who played very well in the CHL and has put up great numbers in the AHL this year. And, you know, maybe a guy like a Nico Dawes, or maybe if you get really lucky, a guy like Askarov falls to you in the draft. So this is a goaltending situation where, Although their goaltenders are older, they can certainly make that youth movement happen quickly in the goaltending front. 
Totally. Anything else we wanted to cover on the Predators? I think we're good on the Predators, Mac. Okay, well, you know, they are one of the whipping boys on, on the podcast here, along with the Leafs and the Sens and, and the Sharks, so <laughs> we're, always, we're always tough on them, but for good reason. It's tough love is what it is. It, yeah, exactly. And, and maybe it, it's just a little bit of anger from when they switched from those beautiful Navy jerseys. Mm, it, that's something... That although it isn't a general manager's move, Mac, I think both of us would be very happy to see that happen. All right. So let's move on to the Calgary Flames. We just got a few teams left before we wrap up this episode. And this is a Calgary team that we've heard for some time is really thinking about shaking up or we? Yeah, and uh, I think that that might be something that happens. And Calgary Flames fans on their fan survey from the athletics certainly seem to agree with us on that point that it feels like a move is going to happen and one of their bigger pieces is going to go. And of the pieces they move, I think the most likely one to see, see getting moved is Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, that that is what I'm hearing as well, although maybe Sean could be moved as well. I mean, the the thing that's good about Calgary is there's going to be a lot of interest in those guys no matter what. I mean. They're still a young team. They're not old by any stretch. And and you still have a good team here. And you still have good pieces. You have Lindholm. You have Kachuk, Riddich, Hannafin, Anderson, Backlund, Dubé, Mangiapane, and more. So it's not the end of the world if you move on from one or both of a Monaghan and a Gaudreau. And you're getting a good return for them no matter what. So... You Absolutely. have to look at this like you have this good group here, and they're only getting better, especially Matt Kachuk, for one, who is becoming one of the best players in the league and only getting better. You really don't want to waste his prime year. And you have good goaltending. Even if you don't bring back Talbot, you have other options. And you have about $10 million coming off the books as well. So this is not a, a super difficult situation for them to navigate. You're not cash-strapped. You have valuable pieces. And sometimes the way you plan it is not the way it ends up. And this happens with a lot of really good contending teams. So I don't know. what What is your feeling? Do you think Gaudreau is the guy that's going to go? Or do you think maybe Sean Monaghan could be on his way I out? Feel like, I feel like... Uh... And here's the thing, it could go either way, but just my sense from watching Calgary, Mac, I feel like Gaudreau would be more of the player they want to move. Yeah, Gaudreau, I'd say, is the more electric player, but I think that if you talk to Calgary fans and the Calgary front office, Sean Monaghan tends to be the more reliable player. You know, he's the, he's the safer pick, I'd say. And I think that Sean Monaghan, he's a better player overall, but Gaudreau is more explosive and he scores more goals. And don't forget that uh, Sean Monaghan's a year younger and his contract's a little longer, but I think that that's fine. And he's a center. He's a, a pretty good center. And you know how centers can be in the league. They're hard to find. So I think between moving Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, I think Gaudreau's the guy they move. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Um, but I, like you said, I think the forward group is 
to be just reconstructed a little bit. I think you need a little more from your bottom six. Um, and I also think, like many of the teams we've discussed, you need to draft better and you need more prospects. And maybe look to Europe to, to sign some guys or look in the CHL for unsigned prospects. There's ways to do that. And the Flames organization has tons of resources, right? So this yeah, is not right. a... This is not a super difficult situation to navigate. Like I said, it, it's there's nothing wrong with what they're going through. You know, this happens with contending teams a lot. You're right. And the the worst thing Calgary can do here is overmanage. You know, tinker too much or overreact. But they still need to move to make some moves. Don't get me wrong. I don't think. You can stay with this group and expect different results because you've given this group three, four years now, and you haven't gotten past the first round. So I think you got to make some some moves here, and I think that soon enough the results will show. And certainly a guy like Johnny Gaudreau would get a lot back. I think that would help your team not only short-term. You'd probably get a solid roster player back, but it could help you long-term because you could get a pick or a decent prospect back in that deal as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the last move they could potentially make if they decide to go that road is maybe form a tandem with a with a Braden Holtby and a David Riddich. I mean, that would be quite good as well. We don't know if they're going to go in that direction. You could always just hand the starters gig to Riddich and um, sign a backup goaltender who doesn't make him play too, too much if Cam Talbot doesn't want to be a backup next year. So anyway, let's move on to our last two teams and head to California, go to the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, no, here's a team, Mac, that both of us are pretty positive on, especially with how they ended the season with a seven-game winning streak. They looked pretty darn good. And LA has all sorts of reasons to be excited. Yeah, they're they're trending in the right direction. They have the best prospect system in the league. They have all their draft picks and other draft picks. And I, I think as much as it's tempting to move a Dustin Brown or a Jeff Carter because of the high salaries, it just doesn't make any sense. The contracts aren't that much longer, and you'd be paying a premium for some team to take them off your hands. So I think it just makes sense to keep them. And the other thing is they're veterans, won Stanley Cups. Dustin Brown, of course, is is a guy who is a leader as well as Jeff Carter. So I, I really don't see them moving on from them. I don't know about you. I don't see it either. But if you're, if you're Rob Blake, I think you put the, their names out there and you see what the price is to pay to take for a team to take one of those guys. And if it's not a whole lot, or if it's less than you thought, then certainly go for it. I don't think you have to move both. But if the opportunity arises where you don't have to give up much and you don't have to eat a lot of their salary, then I'd say go for it. But it's it's not a dire situation like with some other teams in the league. Right, yeah, totally. And you probably want to bring back Trevor Lewis. He's a pretty dependable player. He's not going to cost you much. The other interesting thing for them would be there's some affordable veterans out there, like not really the big 
Matt, like like a Josh Levo or Alex Galchenyuk or a Dylan DeMello that you could bring in. They wouldn't cost you too much. No, you're right. And those are the types of little moves you make now that will pay off in spades when your team is contending. Yeah, absolutely. That's just about all we have to say on the Kings. Uh, let's move on to the aforementioned San Jose Sharks. And we love our San Jose listeners. You guys are the best. We hope you enjoy all our honest takes. So we wanted to say that the biggest thing the Sharks can do here, we obviously Martin Jones, you either trade him or you play him less and you bring in another goaltender. But before you can really do anything, Matt, you need to move a contract. It, it's it's going to be impossible for this team to get better unless they move one of their big contracts. And we had a great debate here. Who do you move? Do you move Burns? Do you move Carlson? Do you move Couture, etc.? And basically, the conclusion we came to is they still have a very good kind of young core that's moving into their prime with guys like Hurdle, Meyer, Couture, etc. And obviously, Logan Couture is your captain. You're not moving him. That Carlson deal, it doesn't look great now, but you and I are big fans of him, and we think he's just not totally healthy yet. He hasn't gotten over those injuries he's been suffering from the last kind of two, three years. So... What we came up with here is you're trading probably one of Evander Kane or Mark Edward Vlasic. And these two have very similar contracts, Matt. Yeah, they have very similar contracts, both at $7 million per year. And that Vlasic's contract is one year longer than Evander's Kane's. His Vlasic's is six and Kane's is five, and let's be honest, Mac, neither are really that good, looking that good right now. And, yeah, both guys have put up some decent numbers in previous years in San Jose, but right now that's $14 million in cap space you could potentially free up if you could find a way to move both. I don't think they're going to move both, but even if you only move one, that's $7 million more million that Doug Wilson has to play with, and that's a big plus for the Sharks because they are so tight against the cap right now that even at the start of the year, remember the big problem was is that San Jose, they knew what the issues with the team were early on, but they didn't have any cap space to work with. So they just had to sit and watch the uh, train wreck of the season unfold because they couldn't do anything. So if you can move either a Kane or a Vlasic contract, that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities for Doug Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. And, we have been critical of Doug Wilson, very. But one thing you have to say is he is very good at making trades. That is a skill he has, like not many general managers in the league do. So if he feels that there's time for a change, I believe he will get it done, Matt. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think that he will uh, get it done. He's a smart guy. I, let's not knock him there, Mac. He has made some. Uh, tough moves in the past, but I think that he, he's a smart guy. He knows the issues with his team. For a prime example, look at the goaltending, Mac. He goes and he signs Alexei Malenichuk to an entry-level contract, and he is certainly looking like he'll be a 
potential franchise goaltender down the road. So he made a good move there. And I think that over the summer, we're going to see him make more smart moves like that. Well, let's hope so. Absolutely. Because, you know, neither one of us want to see the Sharks suffer like they are right now. Of course, as a Sens fan, I, I know the situation that Sharks fans find themselves in right now, Mac. You know, you're so close to the Stanley Cup Finals one year. You make a big move. You go all in for the Stanley Cup. You give up your first round pick. And just everything falls apart the next season. And I certainly don't want to see the Sharks have to go into a full-on rebuild like the Sens are right now. I don't think the Sharks are that desperate. The Sens were just one train rack after the next. But, the you know, the Sharks certainly do have to make some moves to get a bit younger, get out some more cap space and improve that goaltending situation. And I guarantee you, things will turn around pretty quickly in San Jose. I have no doubt that they can do that. I totally agree. I I really hope we do see that because it, it really is time. There, there is no sense in delaying this anymore. If you push this another year, it's going to make it even tougher to move some of those contracts. Absolutely. And don't forget, you might get a compliance buyout as well if the cap stays flat. So that that could solve two of your big contracts there. Maybe you only have to move one. So this is this is the time. There's no point waiting. All right. Well, you know that was a lot of fun, Mac. Both of us put up some really good points when we went through the notes. We went through for like an hour just flipping ideas off of one another, seeing which ones would stick and which ones wouldn't, and that's kind of what we come up came up with. Our next episode, uh, we're looking towards the draft. And, of course, we aren't quite sure when the draft will be yet, Mac. But it sounds like they're sort of looking towards June. No guarantees yet. Uh, There's been rumors saying yes, rumors saying no. But lots of signs saying that it's going to happen at some point over the summer. And when that happens, uh, both Mac and I, we used to get guests on the show. And... We're going to try our best to line up a guest for our next episode because we know how much you all like guests and we love having them on. They always have some great topics and we're certainly going to try and focus in on the draft for our next episode. So we really look forward to bringing you that episode when we can. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again for listening. We hope you're all safe and healthy and well in this difficult time. Remember that uh, there's there's sports available for you to watch if you want to watch them. I know Matt and I are, are finishing off the World Juniors because neither of us had time to watch them all this year. We're actually uh, on the gold medal game between Canada and Russia, so that should be fun. And I think maybe we'll do some baseball after that, change it up a little bit. Um, but other than that, once again, thanks for listening. We're presented by the National Podcast Network. You can follow them on Twitter at NationalPodNet. Find us and many other great podcasts. Center Ice is available wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the blue, white, and red logo. For Matt, this is Mac signing off.